Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Governed by God, a biblical look at law, civics, and government. My name is Eric Leupold, and I appreciate you joining me this morning. On today's episode, I'll be doing an interview with Pastor Matthew Chuella of Mercy Seat Christian Church. But before we get into that today, I want to start out with our law of the day. Now, we are looking at today Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 through 10, and a couple parallel laws in Deuteronomy 24 and Leviticus 23. So here's, here's the first one, Leviticus 19, uh, 9 and 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Okay, the next um, law, parallel law, is Deuteronomy 24, verses 19 through 22. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in your field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. Now, the next third and final parallel law is back in Leviticus 23, uh, verse 22. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. All right, so this law in ancient Israel served to enable the most vulnerable population to provide for themselves. So there's some several key aspects here that we need to keep in mind before we try to make application. The first is that private property owners are stewards of God's earth. So everything belongs to God. The land, the produce, the money, it's all God's. And so no one no one can sit there and say that it's all theirs and that they're not accountable to anyone. They're accountable to God. And God has set it up that his stewards are to behave in this way. They are to not be stingy or greedy or tight-fisted or covetous or anything like that. They are to be open-handed. And of course, a wicked landowner would go over his field again and again to, to make sure that not one piece of fruit uh, was missing, to get every last drop he can out of uh, his property to maximize his profits. But God says to Israel not to do this, that it all belongs to him, and the people of Israel are stewards of what God has given them. Now, the vast majority of the produce obviously belonged to the owner. Uh, the harvest was was his, okay? So the owner would be able to, to enjoy the vast majority of the produce of the land, but still, a portion of it, uh, whatever whatever was not gathered, whatever had fallen, you know, by by chance, whatever fell off the donkey, whatever fell off the tree, um, after you already harvested, you know, all those things, uh, whatever was still remaining, 
that is to be left alone for those who need it. Uh, but here's the other point that we need to keep in mind is that the vulnerable, the people that were to uh, benefit from this, they still needed to do work, to labor. So they would come to the field and they would end up working the field for themselves. So they're not working for uh, the landowner. So, you know, the landowner might have hired servants that, that he sends out to go pick grapes. Okay, so, you know, these hired servants, they're picking grapes. It's not for them. They're doing it for the landowner and he pays them a wage. In this case, you have the poor, the widow, the sojourner. They're coming to to pick for themselves. They're not working for anybody but themselves, but they're still working. They were not allowed to harvest before the landowner did. All right. So, I mean, it was it, the landowner would harvest first. And then after that, the sojourner, the poor and the widow would come and and get what's remaining. So they needed to respect the landowner and not steal his uh, his property. They did not receive handouts either. It's not that someone picked for them and gave it to them, but they were enabled to labor for themselves. So, you know, the government, the king, King David or whatever, his, the, the king's men did not go to the private property and glean, you know, take uh, take from the field and then hand it over to to the to people just at home. They they you know if you wanted it, you had to go to the field and you had to do a little bit of work to to get it. Also, the edges of the fields are where people usually walked while they were traveling because they didn't have that many roads. I mean, there were probably a few roads. They were dirt roads. They wouldn't have been paved roads, and there wouldn't have been that many fences. So if you wanted to travel from one place to the other, you would probably travel along the edges and the boundaries of of people's properties. So the edges are where people usually walked while traveling, and the edges were the most easily accessible for, for those who don't own the land or for those who are traveling. Um, so that's why the edges were to be left unharvested, so that those who were traveling or those who were vulnerable would be able to, to pick and eat um, for themselves easily. Now, one thing to keep in mind also is that there was no civil penalty for violating this law. I mean, when you look through Scripture, there are punishments given for other crimes, right? Bearing false witness. Okay, murder. It is, is there, the punishment is laid out in Scripture. But this law has no punishment associated with it. Uh, the only thing that we see is that the person would, would fall under God's judgment if they were not to uh, follow this law. So it's not enforceable by the human authorities in Israel. The king doesn't go around making sure that every single farmer is not you know, harvesting to the very edge of the field. So the... The owner, the landowner, is to do this willingly because God commands it. And, of course, God will hold that person accountable um, for not obeying the law. But from the perspective of the civil government, from the human authorities, it's an act of charity. It's, it's charity for the landowner to allow the widow and the orphan and the sojourner to come uh, onto his property and to basically pick after the harvest. Of course, a person who didn't do this in Israel would be looked down upon and they would be shamed. But again, there's no 
official civil penalty for this. This is between um, the person and God, not between the king and uh, the person. Now, when we take a look at this law today, how do we apply this? What What does God want us to do today? Well, we see that the modern nanny state that we see in much of the West is a clear twisting and deviation from God's law. Because essentially what's happening today is the central authority, the king, the the civil magistrate, the state, is taking by coercion at the point of a sword, they take from the wealthy and they give it to another group. And that other group doesn't work for it. They just receive it. So there's, there's no laboring involved. There's no working, but it's just a handout. Okay, and it's in the name of justice, in the name of, of charity. But it's not charity because it's coercion. Uh, the state op- operates by the power of the sword. They can take people's money because if the people refuse, the state can force them to pay. And it's unjust because it's not voluntary on the part of the landowner or the wealthy. Also, it does not involve work, like I said. So there's no dignity of labor happening here. The, you know, God's law, the way that God had set it up, is that even the vulnerable and the downtrodden, they, they had to work a little bit. And um, there, there's dignity in that. God makes it clear throughout Scripture that um, there is to be a connection between man and work, work and reward, labor and, and the enjoyment of labor. And that, and that was before the fall. Work was around and instituted before sin entered the world. I mean, sin messed things up and made work hard. But work is nonetheless a good thing. It is a glorious thing. God works. Uh, and he wants his people to work. No matter who they are, no matter what their situation is, they should strive to do labor of some kind with their mind, with their words, with their hands, with their feet, doesn't matter, but they should labor. And so the problem with our modern system is that it rewards laziness and it embitters one group against the other. You see, under God's system, the landowner is accountable to God, so they're not being forced by the king to let the poor, the widows, and the orphans onto their property. So they're doing it voluntarily. They're doing it out of love, out of, out of generosity and charity. And then, you know, so the poor and the widow and the orphan, they know that. They know that they're being welcomed onto the land and that they're not just there because the person is forced to have them there. So now you have what you have interaction, you have community, you have um, mutual respect uh, given to on both sides. And this law would seek to bring both groups together instead of separating them, bring them apart. But in our modern state, because... Caesar takes from one and gives to the other, and there's no interaction between the two groups. There's no community, and it just embitters one against the other. Uh, God's law would not reward the lazy and those unwilling to labor, and, and God's law would not require it to be done out of coercion, but out of charity. So the modern system that we have enslaves people. It makes them dependent upon the state. They don't they don't have any dignity of work. They don't have responsibility. They don't learn a skill. They just get handouts. Uh, and that's not, that's clearly just not loving. I mean, people 
might say that it's done out of love, out of good intentions. But, but God is the one who defines what love is, what good intentions are, what, what makes them good. They're good because God says it's good. And he shows us what it's supposed to look like. Now, there are good examples of this law being put into practice. I mean, there are charitable organizations that seek to enable the weak and the vulnerable to do some kind of labor for a paycheck. I just think of uh, some uh, houses for, for trafficked, trafficked persons, trafficked women. Um, those who who were caught in um, either human trafficking or, or, or prostitution or whatever the case may be, they're rescued out of that, and, and they might not have any skills, any, any lawful, legal skills. Uh, they might not know how to work in a legitimate, God-honoring profession. So they have to be trained to do that, and they are given opportunities to do that. So they're not just given stuff but they're given a way to have dignity, to gain skills, and to eventually grow in maturity to get out of their situation. They're trained out of their situation. And that's, that's how we help each other, right? We, we teach others how to do things so that they can stand one day on their own and that one day they will be able to help others who have fallen and cannot stand for a time. There are farms today that allow the poor to come and the widows to come and pick fruit at harvest time and to keep what they pick. So there's ways to do this, not just with, with farming. Um, you know, we can be creative in ways that this can be done. But the, the goal, though, is to provide for an opportunity to work without obstruction or difficulty, to remove obstacles from someone uh, so they can provide for themselves. The landowner has the land and the fruit trees, and much of the fruit may have already fallen on the ground to make it easy to access. Uh, labor needs to be done by those who want to reap the benefit of this. But the neat thing is that it's not toilsome labor, you see? So what's happening here is that the landowner is removing as much toil and obstacles as possible to, to allow the widows and the orphans and the sojourners to labor as easily as they can. They're still laboring. But the toil has been removed. So just consider that those who come to the field to glean it, they never had to plant or prune or till the soil, fertilize it, water it, or pull weeds. They didn't have to do any of that stuff. All they had to do was harvest. The very last step in the process was harvest. So that, that means they don't get the first fruits. They don't get the best and the biggest. They get the leftovers. Well, and that's okay. God is the one who gets the first fruits. And then the landowner enjoys the vast majority of the rest. And then the, the, the vulnerable get the last. But they don't have to do hardly any work. They just get to do the very last step. Um, which, you know, so God has designed it in this way, um, to be done in this way. Um, now, sadly, though, in our culture today, the government takes your first fruits. Before you even tithe to God, before you even give to God, your paycheck is taxed. And I honestly believe that this is a wicked practice, that the state has basically said they get the first fruits, and then God gets what's left, and the state's going to give to the poor, not you. You're not going to help the poor. They'll do it for you. 
which again is wicked. So anyways, that's our law of the day. And now I want to introduce Pastor Matt Truhella for our interview today. Uh, Pastor Truella is the pastor of Mercy Seat Christian Church, and you can uh, find information about that church at mercyseat.net. He's a graduate of Valley Forge Christian College here in good old Pennsylvania. He and his wife Clara have 11 children and 9 grandchildren, and they reside in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And he has written the book on the doctrine of the lesser magistrates. And I, I wanted to uh, bring him on the show because I believe this book and what he, what he provides in this book is so helpful, so relevant, and so important today. And he has a, um, a website. You can go to, to uh, defytyrants.com, and there's also a YouTube channel, uh, Defy Tyrants, where Pastor Truella looks at what is a lesser magistrate, what are they supposed to do, how do they resist tyranny, and how do we as Christians uh, respond to tyrannical uh, behavior by our government. So, anyways, without further ado, my interview with Pastor Matt Chuella. All right, I'm on today with Pastor Matthew Chuella, and I wanted to talk to you, Brother Matt. Uh, by the way, thank you for coming on the show today. Sure. Um, I really wanted to uh, talk to you about your book, The Doctrine of Lesser Magistrates. I I know it's been out for a few years now, and I, but I only became aware of it uh, fairly recently, within the last year or so, and I found it to be such a, a blessing. Um, it's really helpful, and especially in such a, you know, such a, a easy to read, uh, easy to follow, um, you know, not an overwhelming book for a, a lot of people might, you know, find some of the large books on these topics to be overwhelming, but this was very, uh, very easy to, to handle. So uh, to, to kind of share my uh, and excitement and, and enjoyment uh, with others, with my audience. I just wanted to ask you, you know, what is the, the basic premise or, or point that you're trying to get at in your, in your book, Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates? Sure. Yeah, I'm glad you found the book to be on a popular level because that's what I was really trying to do. Mm -hmm. um, so people wouldn't be overwhelmed and um, so that they would see the goodness of the doctrine and would be able to build further on what I originally wrote. But really, the, the premise of the, doc, of the book is simply to teach the doctrine. And, you know, just so your listeners know what the doctrine is, it's that when the higher ranking civil authority makes unjust or immoral law, policy, or court opinion, the lower or lesser ranking civil authority has both the God-given right and the duty not to obey the superior authority, and if necessary, to actively resist them. So that's a doctrine in a nutshell. Um, I like to use a quote by Emperor Trajan that kind of sums the whole doctrine up. Um, one time he was giving a sword to one of his subordinates and he said to him upon giving him the sword, he said, use this sword against my enemies if I give righteous commands. But if I give unrighteous commands, use it against me. And that is the doctrine in a nutshell. Um, the foremost treatise ever written on the doctrine was by John Knox in his appellation to the nobles of Scotland in 1558. And of course, the nobles were the lesser magistrates of that day. And Knox cited over 70 passages of scripture to show that the doctrine was sound in the word of God. So historically, when you look at it, um, you see examples of the doctrine in the Old Testament, 
see examples of the doctrine in the New Testament, in fact. And, um, but you also see it in non-Christian, non-Jewish nations and cultures in the history of men showing that it's natural to man. Uh, so the main premise of writing the book was to teach people the doctrine and the different tenets of it to show that it's sound in the word of God. And this isn't just some archaic theory type stuff when it comes to doctrine, unless you're magistrate, to make application to today, because this doctrine is massively in need of being demonstrated by the magistrates of our day. Yeah, no, I, I, I look forward to getting into that. And I appreciated your quote, by the way, of, of Emperor Trajan. I mean, it's, I just find it so amazing that you know, a, a pagan man, essentially, you know, he, he stumbled upon something or he, he understood something that was just so important, you know, the, the, this general, general revelation from God uh, um, about, uh, about that, that there is some kind of a standard. And of course, you know, we, we might uh, tell, you know, Emperor Trajan, you know, hey, what is your standard and, and what can you account for it? But he seemed to recognize that there is a standard. Uh, yes. He recognized that truth. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, I I, I can see the uh, importance of this topic because uh, certainly mm-hmm. something I kind of want. I wonder how many people actually think about on a regular basis. But I kind of want to ask also, you know, what what got you into this topic? You know, a, a passion for it, and what led you to want to, you know, write this uh, at this time? Sure. Well, initially it was um, my love for my preborn neighbor. Um, the Lord had shown me just how awful the slaughter of these uh, preborn babies are, and I could no longer sit by and do nothing, and I got involved. This is way back in the late 80s, mm. and uh, what astounded me, Eric, was that here we're talking about murder, and yet not one governor, not one legislature, not one mayor, not one common council, nowhere in the country did any government say to the Supreme Court, not here. (laughs) You're not murdering innocent people here. And I was absolutely astounded by that. And so when I learned about the doctrine of lesser magistrates, I knew this is something that needed to be spoken about and something that needed to be written about. And in the year about 2007, you know, the country continued to go downhill. And if you know anything about the church I pastor, you know, we're involved in all kinds of ministry, you know, everything from being out at the death camps, ministering there, um, to doing prison ministry, preaching at universities, on down the line. And so what we saw in our country was that it continued to just go downhill. And so, and it's rebellion against God. And so we decided, we're just going to start getting together to pray. And we would gather together every other week or once a month, depending on what was going on, We did this for about a year, maybe a year and a quarter. And what came from one of those nights of prayer was, there's probably about 25 people there. And after we were done, we were talking and I told the people there, I said, you know what we need to do? Because you gotta understand, we were just getting together to cry out to God because we were like nothing up our spiritual sleeves. You know, we were like in tank tops, you know what I mean? We're just like, we see the country going down the toilet. God, what can we do? I mean, we're preaching the gospel. We're trying to be involved in civil government matters. Um, but what, what do you have? What more would you want us to do? And 
I told the people that night, I said, I believe that we have to write a book on the doctrine of the lesser magistrate, set up a website and teach the people of this country that doctrine and also the magistrates of the country that doctrine. Because, you know, God's word does speak to all matters of life, including the matters of civil government. And so um, I wrote the book in such a way that Christian people um, like the book and also non-Christian people like this book. So I parsed that out the best I could because I wanted this to help point men to Christ. And I've seen that over and over again. I've spoken to literally hundreds and hundreds of political groups mm -hmm. since I wrote the book. And a common thing that happens afterwards is somebody will come up to me and say this, and they'll say something like this. You know, I gave up on Christ and organized Christianity years ago, but after hearing you as a minister talk like you did tonight, I need to relook at all that. Hmm. So that means a, a lot to me because, you know, they see the rule of Christ and now they're interested in the salvation that's found through him. So anyway, that's how, how um, I was motivated to write the book and get it done. It's one thing to decide something. That was like 2007. We didn't yeah. publish the book until uh, near the end of 2013. You mentioned earlier um, that no state, and you found it quite surprising, and thinking about it, I find it quite striking too, that no state has you know, defied, if you will, or, or taken a stand and said, you know, no babies will be murdered in our state. And I, I find it interesting because as you said that, I was thinking about other ways that the current culture, even the unbelieving culture, has their own version of, of resisting what they view as tyranny. So like, for example, you know, the legalization of marijuana, where it's still federally illegal, but states are just like, you know what, we don't care. We're going to do what we, what we think is right. And then the idea of sanctuary cities, um, you know, again, you know, you have cities and states that are like, we're not going to enforce the federal rules regarding immigration. So, you know, take a hike, federal government. And I just find that, like, it just, it's just so interesting that, that unbelievers are, they have their own version and they're willing and have the courage to take a stand. But the Christians and, and, and the conservatives have no backbone, it seems. Do you see that as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's a good analogy that you draw in that regard. And you have to understand, you know, this doctrine of the lesser magistrate is rooted in the doctrine of interposition. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, they're taking their worldview and they're applying it to their situation. And there's times they clearly apply it improperly because it's a tool. It can be used for good. It can be used for wrong. Um, and that's why it's extremely important for people to understand that um, the object of standard down through Western civilization was the law of God. Um, we know this from history. It doesn't matter whether you read Alfred the Great in the ninth century, read uh, John of Salisbury in the 12th century, or read William Blackstone in the 18th century. They all declared that the law of God was the higher law to which all men and all governments of men were accountable. Um, it's only been over the last 150 years that we've taken the law of God and thrown it under the bus. And most churches have thrown the law of God under the bus. Mm. And that was a mistake because now the state um, has decided what the rule of law is because there is no objective standard 
by which to judge the governments of men. And therefore the governments of men are free to make up law to mere women. As you can see, it hasn't gone good at all with the slaughter of the preborn, decriminalization of sodomy, um, the phalanx of laws to invade our domestic affairs, the attempts of late and have been going for decades now to disarm us and on down the line. You spoke earlier, uh, used a word called interposition. And I just, mm -hmm. uh, for my listeners, uh, could you flesh that out? Like, that seems like a key feature of, of this doctrine. What, what is that exactly? It is, and I have a chapter on that in my book. Um, well, the doctrine of the lesser magistrate is rooted in the historic Christian doctrine of interposition. Interposition is where one stands in the gap, placing himself between the oppressor and his intended victim. An example of it would be like the Hebrew midwives. They were told by Pharaoh to kill the male Hebrew children, but they interposed. Um, they actually preserved the lives of the male Hebrew children and put themselves in jeopardy by doing that. Um, you know, and, and there's many other examples. Um, Saul, you may recall, in, um, he gave this foolish edict, nobody should eat till the war was, till the battle was over. His son, Jonathan, yeah. didn't hear about it. He eats a little honey. Saul's going to kill his own son. And the people themselves interposed and said, not one hair shall be touched on the head of him who gave Israel such a great victory today. So when it comes to the doctrinal lesser magistrate, the magistrate uses his lawful office as a means to interpose against um, some immoral or unjust action by the superior authority. Mm -hmm. Like Daniel, John Knox uses Daniel as an example of this, mm -hmm. amongst other uh, biblical examples. And he points out the fact that, yes, you know, Daniel didn't obey the king because he was a follower of the Lord, but we have to also understand he was a magistrate at that time. And because he refused to obey that law and prayed to the Lord anyway, it benefited the whole country because the king, of course, rescinded his law after Daniel, you know, was thrown into the lion's den and live to tell the story <laughs> so it's like um it's uh so anyway that's what interposition is in a nutshell it's, it's a it's an awesome topic yeah and uh i think that that is definitely something that uh, we should be thinking about uh more um in everyday life if you will um a, a lot of people when i bring up this topic um or they hear other people talk about it uh, you, you, I'm sure you've gotten this so many times, uh, Christians who don't necessarily agree with this position, they come up to you and, and they, they drop the, well, Romans 13, Romans 13, right, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, yes. kind of like five minutes or less, like what is the, like what's the error that those people are making when they try to throw Romans 13 at you? And what's the, what's the, what's the proper way we can understand that? Sure. Yeah, real briefly. And just so your listeners know, if they go to our website, defytyrants.com, mm -hmm. and we also made an animated film at our YouTube channel called Defy Tyrants. We have a YouTube channel called Defy Tyrants. Mm -hmm. But in my book, I wrote a 14-page appendix on Romans 13 because I knew it had to be addressed. And we actually make that available for free at our website, defytyrants.com, because people or they can go to our channel and use the animated film because it's a great way to just post it because this comes up all the time 
all the time with family, friends on different threads and social networking and conversations. Um, but real quickly, uh, first off, when you look at Romans 13, the passage there, you'll notice if you read it carefully, there is nowhere in the text that it says we're always to obey the civil authorities. Mm-hmm. Rather, men impose that on the text. It's what we call an act of eisegesis. Ice is the Greek word for into. It's where we read into scripture something that is not there. And that is not there, that we're always to obey. In fact, there isn't one verse in the entire Bible that says we're always to obey. And that, of course, brings us to the importance of proper biblical hermeneutics. Um, There are many passages of scripture where the people of God disobey the civil authorities and God commends them for their disobeying them and rather obeying him. <laughs> so um, so if, if you make the assertion, you know, we should always obey the civil authorities, you're doing damage to proper biblical hermeneutics, the hallmark of which is scripture interprets scripture. In other words, scripture with a big S interprets scripture with a small S. When you're looking at a particular verse or passage, scripture with a small S, you have to look at it in the light of the whole of God's word scripture with a big s so scripture interprets scripture big s little s <laughs> so and when you look at the word of god you know i mentioned the hebrew midwives i mentioned daniel already the hebrew midwives were told to do something bad daniel was told he couldn't do something good hmm. and that has been the standard of christian men down through the centuries is that when the state commands that which god forbids or forbids that which God commands, we are to obey God rather than man. Mm-hmm. Um, so even Paul knew, you know, the civil authorities weren't to be given unlimited obedience. Paul, who penned Romans 13, writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 about how he knew the governor wanted to arrest him. And rather than submit to that, how he craftily fled down the side of a wall in a basket to escape arrest. So this idea that we're always to obey the civil authority is not true, although it is popularly taught and held by um, churchmen and Christians in American Christianity. Yeah, because when I when I kind of push folks on that and mm-hmm. I, I ask them, hey, okay, so is there ever a limit to the civil government? And, th- and they would say, oh, yeah, yeah, there, there is one. And, and a lot of them have told me it's basically when they prohibit you from worshiping Jesus. So I guess anything that directly prevents going to church and worshiping God, but anything outside of that, it kind of gets a little wishy-washy. And I guess maybe if you could speak to that, like, is it, is it just that we defy them when it comes to directly worshiping God or are there other areas in which we should resist? No, no, that's the mistake of what we call sphere jurisdiction. God has established three great governments, family government, church government, civil government, they're meant to produce within the individual self-government. And so those types of people think that it's wrong for the government to come in and try to dictate anything about our worship. The truth of the matter is um, God's word goes beyond just um, infractions of sphere jurisdiction. (laughs) Um, In fact, one of the things I've heard many people say to me too is, well, we're always supposed to obey unless they tell us we can't preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we shouldn't obey them when they tell us we can't preach the gospel. Um, we know that from Acts chapter five, where the apostles were told not to preach by the authorities and they preached anyway. 
but that aren't that isn't the only situation where we see the people of God not obeying the civil authorities. Mm -hmm. uh, we have many other instances where they disobey the civil authorities. Um, and so you can't say that's the only time, you know, it's, it's any time they make law contrary to the law or word of God, we have a duty to obey God rather than man. And mm -hmm. another thing I hear too is um, this one, they'll say, well, we always obey except if they, if they tell us to do something where we have to personally sin. Mm -hmm. And I always point out to them, you know, well, in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul didn't have to personally sin, yet he didn't obey the governor and he fled. And, you know, just looking at the history of, of Christian people, even in recent history, um, you know, it just doesn't work. You know, you're like Corey Tenboom, okay? Mm -hmm. No one told her she had to mistreat a Jew or you know, enslave a Jew or anything like that. She didn't have to personally sin, yet she violated the civil authorities law and hid Jews in her home. And the abolitionists from 170 years ago, no one told them they had to own a slave, had to mistreat a slave. No one told them they had to personally sin, but yet they helped slaves escape on the Underground Railroad. So all these things, you know, whether it's, oh, if we always obey unless it messes with our worship, or we can't preach the gospel, or we have to personally sin. Those things are not true. Um, mm -hmm. Again, the standard is when the state commands that which God forbids or forbids that which God commands, we are to obey God rather than man. And it's also, Eric, important to point out that um, the um, each great government, you know, family government, church government, civil government, each of them has their own role, function, and limits. Mm -hmm. So if the civil authorities go outside their limits, their God-given function, you know, to punish evildoers, yeah. to reward those who do good, and they just start and and you know thinking they can make law about everything in life, they've gone outside their limits and they must be resisted. Hmm. And it's easy for Christians to think, well, the government can do whatever it wants because we live in a statist hell to begin with where the state has invaded um, family government, invaded self-government, and even to some extent has invaded um, church government, especially over this last year. And so anyways, it's important for people to understand that the civil authorities have limits. And if they go outside their role, function, and limits, there can be times where they need to be resisted then also. Yeah, and that brings... <laughs> Honestly, to the million-dollar question, I mean, the the whole situation with with the COVID uh, lockdowns, restrictions, masking uh, regulations, and things like that. I mean, how should we respond to to this situation? I mean, how does this apply to 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 the government's um, intrusion into into that? Sure. Yeah. To me, to me, it should. We haven't obeyed it. You know, the church I pastor at, we've never obeyed it, and. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think it was Pew that did a study on this, but only about 5% of us didn't obey. <laughs> the other 95% churchmen did obey the state and closed down their churches yeah. and then have played the little Jojo the Circus Monkey game with the masking and the six feet apart and everything like that, which is just, it's despicable what has happened. And, you know, people are like, well, why would you disobey? Well, they're infringing on the law and word of God over and over again with their decrees. 
based on a virus that is a molehill being made into a mountain with a clear global agenda, a global evil agenda. Mm -hmm. And so like God created us to work and they were telling all these people, you can't work. You know, you're essential, you're non-essential, you can't work. Making people also dependent upon the state for their sustenance because they were telling them they couldn't work. That's wicked. That's evil. God's law is also clear. You don't quarantine all of society. You quarantine the sick. Mm -hmm. So um, that's another reason we wouldn't go along at Mercy Seat where I pastor. And another thing is, you know, is the ninth commandment about not bearing false witness, mm -hmm. um, lying, because we saw clearly from the beginning that this was built on a mountain of lies. And I preached numerous sermons about this to establish that fact. And if people have an interest in seeing my sermons um, and going back um, over the last 10 months now or whatever it's been, yeah. um, they can go to our YouTube channel, which is Matt Chuella, and see the sermons there, or they can go to sermonaudio.com and um, just put in, you know, hit the speaker button, put in my name, and you can see my sermons there also. So yeah. we've opposed this since the beginning. In years gone by, centuries gone by, you saw that the churchmen would actually block the state from entering the church in order to uphold righteousness or to secure the authority of the church. Um, an example of that would be Ambrose, who blocked the Emperor Theodosius from entering the church. And then John Chrysostom blocked the church doors so that the state couldn't enter in and arrest Eutropius while he was inside Chrysostom's church. And th that's just two examples. There are scores of examples throughout church history where the churchmen would actually block the doors of the uh, church to keep the state out. Here we have the state blocking the churchmen from entering in, <laughs> and they all went along with it. And I just think it's wrong. And what is really bad on top of that, Eric, was not only did they play the traitor in shutting down their churches, mm -hmm. but they also played the whore. They took money from the government for shutting down. In fact, mm -hmm. churches and religious organizations in America, since this whole COVID thing began, have taken well over $10 billion because the government would give you money if you would shut your church down. And they lined up, the Christian lawyers showed them how to do it. They lined up to get their free money from the government. So they obeyed them, acted as traitors to Christ. You know, there's a minister down in Louisiana who's been arrested 33 times down in that state for continuing to keep his church open. You know, the big story that happened just the other week with the Canadian pastor, oh, yeah. James Coates. And so here's faithful churchmen. That's how churchmen behave. You know, they obey Christ and let the chips fall where they may regarding the state. But here we have churchmen actually aiding and abetting the lie of tyrants, actually teaching the Christian people in their congregations to put on the mask, to stay six feet apart, to live the fiction that they have created. That is so wrong and egregious. And I've mm -hmm. called my fellow churchmen out on it again and again over the last 10 months in my sermons. You know, I, uh, as I think about this, and as I was looking through your book to refresh myself, I, I came upon uh, a quote that you made of uh, C.S. Lewis. 
And yeah, C.S. Lewis spoke of a tyranny where the state um, tr makes its citizens you know, dependent upon it slowly. And here's what he says, uh, what he wrote, he says, quote, of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. It would be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. His cupidity may at some point be satiated, but those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. And uh, I just found that so so striking and so relevant because, you know, what's been happening, it seems like it's all being being painted or posited as for our good. This is for this is this is good for you. You need this. It's not like an overt like when we think of tyranny, like an overt, just a cruel, uh, you know, Stalin, Hitler kind of person. But but that's the, the kind of like that overbearing mother, if you will. Oh, it's for your good, sweetie. Um, what are you, what are your thoughts on, on that? Oh, absolutely. That quote. Yeah. Being in the book was, was incredible because it's so apropos for what's yeah. happened here today, um, in America. And it's that whole mindset of, uh, we're from the government and we're here to help you, <laughs> you know, and it's like <laughs> what they want to do is enslave you, make them dependent upon them. And they are outside their role, function, and limits when they've done all this crazy stuff. And here's the thing, you know, the church really had an opportunity to shine when all this broke out. And I've told my fellow churchmen this, I've said, you know, we had the least to lose, you know, mm -hmm. our us, our churches, we all had the least to lose. I said, you look at the businessmen, we live in a fascist state. Yeah, mm -hmm. in fascism, you get to have your private property, you have your business but it's so heavily regulated by the government that you really have no freedom under it. And, you know, in America, when you put a shingle out that you're in business, you come under an immense body of law, regulation, and bureaucracy. And often the magistrates, the civil authorities will use the businesses as the tool to implement their tyranny within the land. They won't directly force you to put a mask on but they'll tell all the businesses, put signs up that you got to have a mask on or else you can't shop at our store. And sadly, most people comply with that. And I, I've never worn a mask since this whole thing has started. I walk into every store that has a sign on because they all do here in Wisconsin. And probably 99.5% of the people are walking around with their dopey masks on. I walk right in because, and I've had many business owners tell me, the only reason I have the sign on the door is because I will get fined. I can get in trouble from the government if I don't have the sign on the door. <laughs> so, but I told my fellow churchmen, you know, we, if we would have just stood against this, preached against it, not allowed this nonsense of masking and six feet apart. And, you know, you come one Sunday a month, depending on what letter your last name starts with and all this nonsense. I said, you know, we would have been a benefit. We would have been interposing for the businessmen. We would have been interposing for the whole of society. We would have been exposing this thing for the lie that it is. Instead, you guys have all been aiding and abetting tyrants in their tyranny, and that's mm -hmm. wicked. Mm -hmm. Wow. And as we kind of are, are coming towards the end of, the, of our time here, I, I want to kind of ask you, I mean, for, for those churches 
or for those listening that maybe their church is not sure what to do, or maybe they've been doing something and, and they, they kind of want to change and, and maybe do um, more, take, take more of a stand and, and have more courage. I mean, what are some of the principles, I guess, that, or your encouragement or, or where should, where should just common Christians begin, you know, in their churches? Today? Sure. No, I, I'll tell you what this has done. Um, because of how the churchmen, the elders, the pastors have behaved. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's there's people who've left their churches. They're Mm -hmm. like, do I even know these people? Um, They go along with this nonsense, um, and they leave. And there's been a huge number of people. Yeah, I mean, they're in the minority, but there's a huge number that have left their churches over this whole matter because truth reveals hearts. And when you see your pastor up there twisting scripture in order to convince you that you're only loving if you put that mask on and stay six feet apart and let us take your temperature you know and all the other nonsense that they're doing yeah people are done with that and so people have left and you know regarding this matter of the doctrine of the lesser magistrate eric mm-hmm. i'd really like to share this story because i know we are short yeah. on time here's to me, this was, and we've seen this, um, first off, there isn't one state legislature anywhere in the country that has defied and stopped the lawlessness of their governor, not one. Doesn't matter if it's Democrat or Republican, not one. But what we have seen is many, and many, I mean many, counties that have defied their governors, both county boards and sheriffs have defied their governors over these decrees that they make. And the story I like using the best, um, because it it, um, exemplifies how the doctrine of the lesser magistrate works is um, Governor Pritzker, who's the governor of Illinois, which is the state right below us here in Wisconsin. He's been acting like a tyrant through this whole thing, like our governor has been here in Wisconsin. And last May, his latest decree was that if any any businessman is not allowed to open his business until I say you can open your business. Hmm. And if you do, you're now going to be charged. You're going to be arrested and charged with a misdemeanor crime for opening your business before I say you can. Well, one week later, one lone county out of the scores of counties in Illinois, Hmm. only one little Madison County on the Mississippi River um, there in Illinois, gathered their board of supervisors together, and they put together a decree and resolution that they issued, which stated that their businessmen were all free to reopen, and they, they would use all the lawful authority they possess to protect their businessmen, and then they warned the governor and the state, cautioned them about trying to interfere with their businessmen in their mm-hmm. county. Um, one week, uh, right after they did that, I should say, Governor Pritzker responded in good tyrant fashion. He said, oh, I'll take away your federal money. And he threatened to do this and do that. And this is all in the news up here. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, one week after Madison County issued their thing and Pritzker's you know, giving his threats and intimidations, the Illinois State Police issued a press release stating that they would not arrest any businessman in the whole state under Governor Pritzker's latest, you know, d- 
decree, <laughs> you know, so, and, you know, they could open their businesses, no state troopers arresting them. And the very next day after that, Governor Pritzker rescinded his order. That's how the doctrine of the lesser magistrate works. The lesser magistrate standing in her position against the tyranny of the superior authority to protect the people within their jurisdiction so that they're able to check the tyrant. And you have to understand how important that is because tyrant authority, tyrant civil authority always counts on the lesser authorities to get their evil down into the fabric of society. And so like if we show up on the corner and say with shotguns and say, we're not going to take this anymore. Yeah, they're not too impressed by that because, yeah, read about the history of peasant wars. They usually doesn't go good for the peasants. But when the lesser magistrates who they count on to get the evil into the fabric of society, when they rebel against their evil, that's when they know they have a problem on their hands. And then they have to come out of their lair, show their fangs, and then people more readily recognize them for the tyrants that they are. Hmm. Anyways, the um, man who heads up the board there in Madison County, he read my book on the doctrine of the lesser magistrates three years earlier. Oh. And that is why they decided to make the stand that they made because of their conviction from reading the book and learning about their duty in the sight of God. Wow, that's uh, a <laughs> that's powerful, and uh, amen. So yeah, certainly in, inspiring as well. And so for those uh, Christians, you know, we're in Pennsylvania here, uh, under similar situation. It seems like what what Christians should be doing is 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 probably at this point appealing to you know their elders to to take a stand and appealing to their county, uh, their sheriff, uh, local governments just just to basically request or petition for help for for inter, interposition uh, by lesser magistrates that, that's exactly right yeah when it comes to your churches you you know work through that process sit down with the leadership say no this isn't right yeah. and then you have to decide at some point you know if they're going to persist in going along with the nonsense whether you're okay with that or not yeah. when it comes to the magistrates that is the role of the people. And I have a whole chapter on that in my book, mm -hmm. the role of the people. The role of the people regarding the doctrine is to prod their magistrates to do right. And to assure them if they do do right, that they will stand with them four square because the lesser magistrates need to know the people will support them. Ah. And so you need to let them know you do right. We'll be with you, you know, with our property, with our persons, with our prayers, both publicly and privately, um, to stand with you against the evil that's being foisted upon us by the superior authority. And I give many examples of this in my book, as you know. Um, so that is the role of the people, is to prod their magistrates and stand with them when they do do right. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, for those of you listening, again, uh, the book is The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates by Pastor Matthew Truella. And folks can uh, find information about you, about your book, and about uh, the doctrine by going to defytyrants.com and to your YouTube channel as Defy Tyrants. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Well, again, brother, uh, I really appreciate you coming on to the show and, and, and chatting with me about your book. And uh, I look forward to getting feedback from listeners. And if any of them have any questions uh, for you, I'll, I'll certainly uh, send them your way. Uh, but I really, uh, but again, thank you for coming on uh, and, and sharing this information uh, with us. It's quite relevant and, and very applicable. 
Thank you, Eric. I really enjoyed the time. God bless you. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that interview uh, with Pastor Truella. I know I enjoyed talking with him. Uh, it was such a blessing, and I pray that it was a, a blessing to you as well. Um, again, if you have questions for our Pastor Truella, just uh, you can certainly email me at uh, the GBG podcast at gmail.com. You can go on Facebook, Twitter, and find Governed by God. Uh, and send me a message there, or you can go to uh, the Defy Tyrants website and uh, contact uh, Pastor Truello yourself, and I'm sure he'd be happy to chat with you um, about how, uh, as Christians, we uh, should respond and move forward in this day and age. So, again, thank you for your time. Thank you for uh, joining me uh, today, Uh, and until next time, take care, and God bless.